I am genuinely tired and I'm through with all this. I did not lose hope again, but I was tired of fighting. You know, that constant fight of I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I have to be tomorrow, hard. So I was just simply tired, that tunnel, I couldn't see the end of it. And I physically actually put my head and hands on the bed in front of me and I surrendered. This is episode number 91 of The Inspiring Talk with C. Pallavi Rao Narvekar. Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Bijay Gautam. I'm your host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potency. Imagine this. You are at peak of your career. You are the top radio jockey. Just had your first baby. You had planned your future. Your kids future and your life is almost perfect. Then all of a sudden your life starts going downhill. You are diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease called myasthenia gravis. And it is just the beginning of what you are about to face. You get discovered with cancer. You lose your voice and doctor says you can never go back to the radio and speak again. This is the story of my guest for this episode, C. Pallavi Rao Narvekar. Pallavi was a very popular radio jockey with Radio Mirsi. She is a TEDx speaker and an author of the book ICU Love Stories. This is the book that Pallavi has written when she was admitted in ICU. Pallavi has created something called a health resume which states she had 6 major surgeries, 48 radiation therapies and 6 times on ventilator over the period of 10 years. If there is one of the most powerful stories on hope I've ever heard, this has to be the one. This is the story of the real iron lady who fought through all the odds to prove her doctors wrong with the power of her mind and never ending determination on this episode you will hear us talk about how to deal with challenges what are some of the lessons pallavi learned going through all that she went through and her message to people facing the challenges in their life this episode will leave you deeply inspired to face your challenges and never give up on the hope let's jump into the conversation Welcome back inside this episode guys. I'm super super excited to have with me here Pallavi. Pallavi, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me over Vijay. So Pallavi, I would like to jump straight into the conversation. I know that there's a lot that we need to discuss on this podcast and I'm not sure, you know, how long this is going to go because there's a whole lot that we, you know, have to cover on this episode. So, I would like to start you know this conversation by talking about your fascination with the radio mm. how did it came about like i think the word for, before fascination the word that comes to my mind is love it's pure love, love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my first crush that became turned into love 
and a very serious relationship that I carried on, which I have carried on for years. So yeah, my love for radio, for the medium, the fascination for the voice started, I think, uh, when I was in class seven. So that means about eleven mm-hmm. years old. And I think that is, a, I mean, that is my recollection of the time when I actually started uh, listening to radio seriously. And I completely owe it to my father because uh, I remember he used to come back from his night shift. He used to be working in a newspaper, sports editor and all. So after he used to come back from his night shift, he used to finish his day by listening to the headlines on the radio. Because television used to be a limited hour, so it get over by 11. So be it at 2.30 at night, 3 o'clock in the morning, he would finish his day by listening to radio. And it used to fascinate me how that small little transistor of his, the black national Panasonic small little transistor, used to captivate him day after day. And that uh, bass voice, baritone voice across the medium, you know. So he used to always tell me that, you know, if you want to listen to radio, if you want your pronunciations right, English or Hindi, you must listen to the English, uh, to the news bulletin on All India Radio. So I grew up mm. listening to a Barun Haldar, who was also my mentor and my guru in the radio industry, and to legends like uh, Minoti Chatterjee and uh, Vijay Daniel. Yeah. So um, that's where the fascination began. You mentioned about your dad being a sport editor. What did your parents do? Both my parents uh, were journalists. I come from a family of journalists, so to say. All my uncles, my parents, everyone in the family were journalists. And my brother is a journalist too. So my father was a sports editor of the Hindustan Times. My mother had worked as a, a Bollywood, as a, as a film journalist in the most uh, respected news magazine of those days uh, called Screen. So, you know, she had uh, interviewed okay. the best of the top of all the Bollywood actors, the film industry. And my brother has been yeah. a journalist all his life, uh, again, into sports. So, yeah, I came from a family of journalists. So, I can relate to, you know, your love for the radio as well. And, uh, you know, you later went on to do something about it on the radio. But I kind of gave up on that dream. But now, you know, with podcast, uh, I'm, I'm kind of relieving that dream. But you know, when I listen to it, uh, especially the BBC has got this, you know, unique way of narrating the news, mm. right? The way read the news, they have a specific way. Mm. And uh, I remember at one instance, I was at a hostel mm. and, uh, you know, I, I picked up the newspaper and I read the newspaper and recorded in the exact tone the BBC guy would. And I went out on, you know, to the hostel warden and told him, sir, just listen to the news. And, and he kept on listening for two to three minutes. I'm like, what are you listening? He says, am I not supposed to listen to this news? It's from BBC. Let me listen. And I'm like, that's my voice. And like, really? And, uh, wow. you know, so I, I kind of almost copied. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now even when I do this podcast uh, thing and I, you know, make a joke of that saying that I did that. But yeah, I mean, I, I had that love as well, but I did not do something about it because and I think for you, a lot of people coming from that background, uh, you know, there were good people who could guide you telling that, you know what, you can make career on that as well. For me, the scene was, you know what, there is not, you know, a huge career that you can make out of radio or, uh, you know, just becoming an RJ or. No, so, uh, in fact, contrary to what you're saying, I have been uh, doing radio for donkey's years. So I started off uh, yeah. immediately after my graduation. In fact, I started just before I got my graduation degree. 
and uh, trust me at that time i from class 7 onwards till college i did not tell even a single person that i wanted to do radio because they would say mm. that is fine but what are you going to do about a career you know the same way yeah. as i wanted to become a dancer and i never could tell anyone that i want to become a bharatanatyam dancer when i grow up so people would say that is all right but what will you do for your bread and butter what will you do for living yeah so you haven't shared that you wanted to be a radio person uh, not with any of my because friends. that was not like a full fledged profession not at all so all my friends during okay. my school time uh, had uh, predicted that i would become a teacher and that would be the maximum that i would do in my life okay and t- teacher for them was a derogatory thing you know you mm. just become a teacher in a school which i eventually did and i thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i wanted to do radio yeah. and um, and i also must mention that uh, my yeah. grandmother my father's uh, mother uh, she used to do a lot of radio plays tel- yeah. telugu in telugu in our vernacular language and uh, mm-hmm. we were one of the first few telugu families uh, andhra families of delhi so she was one of the first ones to take part in telugu plays at all india radio so maybe there was something you know from there also and uh, all through my college uh, all through my school and college all i did every single day what you said about reading the paper i used to do that as a practice every yeah. single day so i remember uh, i used to sit in front of the mirror i used to have the newspaper in hand and i used to read aloud mm-hmm. my habit of reading aloud really yeah. stood you no know, stood me in good stead because i used to read everything aloud from the newspaper to the pamphlets that used to come within the newspaper to when on the road those billboards uh the advertisements on the roadside i used to just read it aloud like an advertisement yeah. like a movie commercial so there was no not no practice or no course that people you know ask me up ah, where did you do this course for from for radio I mean, no course nothing self taught and listening constantly listening mm-hmm. how to modulate your voice how to use yeah. your mic how to use your bass how to use your where to put the intonation where to put the stress all these things were self learned so what did you study oh well academics uh, wise uh, i did my honors in geography okay from uh, kamla nehru college delhi university and topped all the three years as a good student wow were you a good student all your life no okay not at all school i was a very very average student mm-hmm. and uh, it was only in class 11 and 12 that i started to get interested in the subject because i got the subject of my choice okay so i was not at all a science person when i got humanities i liked those subjects so i started doing well so but still on the back of your head you always wanted to become an rj right so were there any like courses for the media or uh, you know television because i remember you know when these things came in existence in the first time somebody mm-hmm. who could speak well they would get an rj you know come become an rj uh, you look mm-hmm. good also you can speak well come become television presenter so that's that's how mm-hmm. it was right were there formal education available mm-hmm. uh, for becoming a media person back then okay vijay now when i tell you what i'm telling you now you will get to know what a vintage person i am okay <laughs> so i come from the time when even the word rj was unknown was not known in india mm. okay we were only radio presenters okay rjing mm. as a concept as a word as a term came in a little later so uh, i come from the time when i started off with air as a newsreader which i'm talking about 1992 
and uh, then uh, it was a natural progression so there was no course or anything i remember clearly that i had a resume which was a half page resume which only said that uh, <laughs> i am a graduate and uh, that i am a news reader with air and that was it with that i kept moving from one studio of delhi to the other showing the resume and they kept saying we don't want to see a resume we want to hear your voice so give us mm. a scratch give us a sample True. recording how do you do that where do you do that no idea so sitting at home you know on a tape recorder i would record a sample a portfolio audio portfolio even that yeah. concept <laughs> of that word was not there then and i would uh, drop it at various studios so you started to get work from one place that by word of mouth you would get another assignment and slowly and steadily the work started uh, becoming much more regular so i yeah. think for me all in the radio was one big uh, milestone followed by that was uh, me getting entry into ztv so mm. i had gone there i left my resume and thinking it's a news channel what will i be doing there we did not even know that there was a concept like a voice over at least i didn't oh. know yeah okay so when i left the resume there they called up and they said you left your uh, papers here but what are you applying for so i said anything that needs my voice <laughs> so <laughs> i was so naive and so silly but yeah. they called me instantly they said are you free right now and i had just left the resume and come back home in an auto auto rickshaw and i said yeah sure i'll be there and i went there and they took an audition in hindi until then okay. i used to be very snobbish and think only about english that you know i am only an english person you know hindi i can't read and hindi is not my yeah <laughs> and there i found the script which was in pure hindi you know heavy duty words okay. in hindi which i had not read for a mini for 2 3 years now 4 5 years in fact but uh, i never said no to any work which i never so i did not tell them that mm. i'm not confident i may not be able to do it this is not what i want to do i said yes i'll try and i did uh-huh. and i got through and that was it after that english and hindi voiceovers um mm. you know news i went went into the next building of next to the all india radio which is called doordarshan which is a national channel tv channel of india i guess i was very lucky also that you know as i keep telling everyone that literally whatever i touched would turn into gold mm-hmm. you yeah. know any audition i would go i would get through and it used to be such a cake walk for me you know it used to be so easy mm. maybe because also because i worked so hard i had practiced for so many years yeah you know, i was never camera shy i was never yeah. i never had stage fright i had no issues with the mic so that nervousness or whatever was i was so comfortable in that space mm. so i became yeah. a hindi announcer tv announcer yeah you know with the national channel of uh, tv channel of india and uh, then there was no stopping at all i would mc shows i would do you know host parties at a, on a stage wearing those yeah. nice gowns and making people enjoy the yeah so and yeah. that was uh, like and and um, the interesting thing is there were not so many people like today you know i'm sure at your age then you would yeah. feel like you know what and i remember as a kid you know i used to host all these you know uh, school events as a host and i uh, at one point i was at my fifth standard and the dais people could barely see my like forehead i was uh, ah. you know i was uh, and there was no 
a step or something where I could step in so that people can see my face. And the voice is like so mm. powerful. And everybody, who's this kid? I mean, who is this? Whose voice is so? And they couldn't barely see me. They could only see my forehead. And you know, when I would come back home, and everybody was like, "Wow, you did this great job!" And you know, it would feel like the mini celebrity yeah. because not so many people had that kind of confidence. Confidence. And you know, I'm I'm sure you felt that as well. So one thing that you mentioned was you were not a, a bright student all your life, and then you know you had this something that I feel today uh, was now whatever I do, I have to you know be best at it. Now mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that was something that I was not like that all my life, and I mm-hmm. could see that you also have the same thing, saying that you know what, whatever I do now, I have to be best at it. So and for me, when I try to trace back. Where did uh, you know this thing about I need to be best at whatever I do came from, and and I could trace it back to not being able to uh, you know get into the university where I wanted to because I couldn't clear the entrance, and then you know mm-hmm. and then that kind of hit me hard, and I said you know what, even if I couldn't make it to the best university, I'm going to be best wherever I go. And mm-hmm. all my life I've been an average student, and then you know I topped my college, got the scholarship, uh, got the placement, uh, rewarded as the best student, all of that. And then after that, even on the job, I was getting like a, you know, a most promising candidate and yeah. all of that award. And whatever I do now, like that has kind of become the nature for me saying that, you know what, if I start something, I have to be best at it. So can you yeah. trace something in your life as well? Maybe incident or something somebody said or something that happened where you said, you know what, I'm going to be best, uh, you know, at whatever I do. Uh, no, not an incident per se. But uh, once again, I think it uh, goes back to my father. Because uh, mm-hmm. he, in fact, was uh, in fact my parents were the unconventional ones, so to say. Uh, I remember very clearly. My father used to say, "You should enjoy your school life. I want both my children to enjoy their school life. So if it is my brother, then he wants to play cricket. Let him." So we're two siblings. Yeah. So I've okay. got an elder brother, Raj Shekhar, and. Okay. Uh, and he would say who is by the way a very popular icc commenter no nah, yeah he looks out of the public relations and stuff yeah and he's an okay. author himself he's penned quite a few books so yeah my father used to insist that you should enjoy your school life do whatever you want with extra emphasis on extra curricular you know he would say studies is fine and can you imagine a father saying it is okay if you do not do very well in studies but don't get that red mark so don't fail hmm. but it is okay you know don't take so much of stress of studies but make sure that you take part in some extracurricular so for me it was dance all the time so even in fact till till my college i was pretty sure that i would pursue dance as a career then eventually i you know left it after college because my guru left delhi and i couldn't settle with another uh, teacher so um so so that perfection thing i think came from my father without him actually saying it but doing it in his work so seeing him mm. or for that matter my mother she writes and uh, i used to get pretty upset with her you know that when she writes a small little article or a middle for a newspaper she would write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite she would reread and say ye theek nahi hai ye theek nahi hai and her english is like another level altogether uh-huh. and i would say don't put so much stress tell narrate the story narrate the story but till and until she is satisfied with her final copy she would not share it mm-hmm. with the paper at all yeah. so i mean all these things are something that you notice and it kind of gets gets embedded 
you know True. so so whatever you do do it to perfection in fact i feel sometimes that uh, that uh, that thing for perfection sometimes takes a toll on you yeah it does and in, in fact interestingly i had your husband rahul on this podcast on 69th episode of the show uh, mm-hmm. and i asked him the question about perfection and he has totally different viewpoint on when it comes to perfection he says like nothing is perfect just get into it and then you know improve and uh, right yeah, so yeah. yeah so and i also kind of um, i'm not a huge perfectionist per se i i would love to make things quicker and put it out there and then get feedback and then improve on it so yeah. even though my father is like a perfectionist whenever he touches anything he need to do it to the level of perfection but uh, somehow i did not imbibe that and uh, i think i mean that's uh, that's still fine i'm more of a okay get feedback and then improve get feedback and then improve rather than you know taking too long to put it out there yeah. uh, all right pallavi now i want to uh you know fast forward few years from your all india radio and mm. after that you went on to become the rj at uh, you know uh, at radio mirchi you know running your show bumper to bumper and at that point of time you were like the hottest rj or the hottest voice on radio at that point of time if i can say so and uh, you know you got married and you had your first child you were living your life right and uh, going out partying and what not like the best of the life and something happened when you had your first uh, you know child you the only child <laughs> rian and uh, you know something happened you know and then your life started taking going downhill right so let's talk mm-hmm. about what happened when you were singing that lullaby to rian and uh, and how uh, you know how the whole think about you know myasthenia gravis and uh, and other you know events mm-hmm. unleashed after that yeah that's what i keep telling everyone that my life is so so melodramatic you know that someone should actually make a movie out of it it's so so melodramatic which is happening by the way yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's a secret secret <laughs> all right yeah yeah so um So yes so there I was now when I whenever I narrate my life uh, I actually like to distance myself from myself and I like mm-hmm. to look at it from a distance and talk about how crazy you know life is and how amazing life is you know what turns and twists it has and uh, if I say that it is not me but it is just about a person for whom life was all about radio or about voice about talking to an audience talking to the city every day and uh, modulate and be just being in love with m- the microphone and stuff for her to one day suddenly start slurring is the yeah. most unfathomable thing it is something unbelievable it is bizarre and that is Absolutely. why I, i mean even uh, when i'm doing this uh, the last thing that i would ever want mm-hmm. is like you know uh, even i'm doing the podcast is like you know uh, lose my voice because that's something that i want to do right and yeah, uh, yeah. So uh so there was this uh, afternoon evening when uh, and my son was uh, barely a month and a few days old and I was as I said correctly I was singing that lullaby and I started to slur mm-hmm. and I didn't know what happened then neither maybe it is a postpartum um weakness so I kept quiet for a while again I started singing again I started slurring then I got a little hassled and I left my baby with my mother and mother in law went to the washroom and looked into the mirror and said my lines you know the ones that i always do uh, which is uh, 
You are listening to Radio Mirchi 98.3 FM and I'm with I'm Pallavi with you on Bumper to Bumper. That is my favorite line. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just at this time I started to slur by the end of it. And that is when I really got scared. So I kept quiet and didn't tell anyone that evening. Next morning is when the thing actually set in. And uh, just the next morning I went into the washroom to brush and I couldn't spit. So the Ooh. froth and the foam was set in the mouth and I had no strength in my cheeks to throw it out. Wow. I just didn't know what happened, you know, and I kept trying and it was going inside. So I literally had to put my hand in and like, what the hell happened? And I mm-hmm. couldn't talk. I just couldn't speak a line or word clearly. I was slurring as if my uh, face had no strength. My muscles had no strength at all. So I sat outside and uh, when my husband Rahul walked into the room and generally started chatting, I looked at him and I said, Rahul, I need to go to the gynae. Something is wrong. So he said, why, what is wrong? I said, uh, something is wrong with my face. I can't talk properly. He said, what nonsense. Kya nothing. So I said, no, really. Yeah. And then when I started talking to him, he was shocked because he heard the slur. He said, okay, let's go. So my brother yeah. Rahul and I, we quickly went to the gynae told her, I said, I'm slurring. So she said, what nonsense. This is all weakness after delivery. I said, no, seriously. So I asked her for a newspaper and I started reading it out in front of her. Because, you know, initially the voice would be fine. And as the voice would tire, which was after like four sentences, it would slump into a slur. And this time she stood up and put her hands on her waist and she was hassled like how. And she said, girl, you're not going home. You're going from here straight to Apollo Hospital and you're meeting Dr. Vineet Sori. This is this. I'm taking an appointment right now. There's something wrong. And within, I think, three hours, our life was topsy-turvy. <laughs> yeah. We just didn't know what happened. So we went to the uh, hospital. Crazy. Uh, yeah. And uh, he asked me for the symptoms. I told him. I mean, surprisingly, whatever symptoms he kept asking, I was nodding my head. I was like, yeah, this also happened. This Happens. also happened. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So he said, uh, any problem in seeing? I said, no, no vision problem, but my left eye seems heavy. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, problem, yes, I said, yeah, I had a problem with chewing this morning. I couldn't eat my bread. You know, I found it to be such a task. I was wanting yeah. something softer to eat, you know, dipping it in tea and having it. I couldn't close my mouth and open it. Closing and opening was a problem. It just was limp, you know. Then um, the other op- the other symptom was, of course, some difficulty in breathing. I couldn't pinpoint exactly what I said. I kept telling him, I'm not feeling as if I'm breathing properly. It's not a full breath. So he took me to the next room and uh, we got another test done, which is the RNS test, which is a repetitive nerve stimulation test where you put shock waves to see how well the muscles recuperate after a shock. And I think within 45 minutes to one hour, I was told, that it is myasthenia gravis, which is a very rare autoimmune disorder. It happens Ooh. to women. <laughs> it happens, it's a rare one. Um, very few people in India. Uh, yeah. the only <laughs> and, so uh, what was your reaction like? Uh, what, what was going on in your mind when he said, okay, this is a rare autoimmune disease? I didn't know what he was saying, frankly. I mean, I it, was, it just was going over my head, you know, because I was sitting there and thinking, okay, finish off with whatever you're saying tell me what is to be done I've got my kid I have to it's milk time <laughs> because I was still feeding him you know 
So yeah. let's finish this thing off. And uh, so when he did say my scene at Gravis, uh, Vijayadi, one name that came to all three of us was Amitabh Bachchan. For those who mm. don't know who Amitabh Bachchan is, he is the biggest star, Bollywood star of India. He's a legend. He's a person <laughs> I look up to for various reasons. And uh, so that is a name that came to us because that was the only he place that yeah. heard this word. And um, so that was it. He said uh, some medicines and uh, it can be controlled with medicines. I said, fine. So came back, started taking those medicines. I was supposed to take three tablets in a day. It uh, Over the next week and a 10, 15, 20 days. Uh, the dosage increased to one tablet every two hours. Same, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it became too much. Then he said, we have to put you on steroids. It is not getting controlled. So then I was put on steroids. For steroids, okay. I did got to hus- get hospitalized for 10 days because you do not know what the side effects of steroids is. So that was the first time after my cesarean that I ever got into a hospital for 10 days. And mm-hmm. uh, those 10 days were quite, uh, it was difficult to understand what was happening because. Yeah, I, and also just a kid, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, feeding express, kid at home. Yeah. yeah. So I had to express milk in the hospital and my driver would take that warm milk home and I'm sitting yeah. there. Then after I think two, three days, the doctor said, you can't feed your child anymore because you're on steroids. Mm-hmm. So stop that. So what are the emotions that were going at that point of time? Like, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, you were still trying to make sense of a lot of things that was that was happening the first time that you were in hospital for that long. Yeah. Um, what was going on in your mind? I mean, the first thought, of course, was to get well and get home. How do I do that immediately? Why is it taking so long? You know, and uh, once the steroids kicked in, it takes about five, ten days for the effect to start. Then it started becoming better. The symptoms started to become a little better. Then I said, why am I sitting here? I have to be back home. I have to be back on radio. I mean, all this is done. I have to get back to my show after my maternity leave and stuff. But then when it was not getting fine, the one thought that kept coming, now I feel is such a silly thing, was what would people think of me? You know, that ego, that... uh, Mm -hmm. Self-esteem, ego actually, not self-esteem, ego. That got hurt that, you know, I am not able to talk, speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the easiest thing for anyone to do, no? I'm unable to, and when I'm saying something, people are unable to understand. So what will my colleagues think? What will my video jock friends think? Will they laugh at me? Will they scoff at me? Will they have sympathy for me? Which I don't want. None of these I want. So I... Just distance myself. I stopped taking calls. You know, friends who would call. Friends, when I say friends, I mean mutual colleagues who are very dear friends, who are still very dear friends of mine. Hmm. They would call. I would not take the phone call at all. So that was my first reaction of, you know, cutting myself from the world and just concentrating on getting well, which I was not getting well. <laughs> you know, the steroids yeah. were also not able to control the symptoms after a while. So, um, yeah, and of course, uh, the fear. Because uh, I was still wondering, though the doctors kept saying that it is, you know, 
uh, you can control it with medicines. It is not getting controlled. Yeah. You know, so that fear of, you know, when will it become fine? When will I start talking normally? I remember one day at home, I had uh, to call the chemist, the pharmacy, to order my yeah. medicines. And uh, that guy actually kept the phone down on me because he said, Ma'am, I can't understand what you're saying. Because hmm. he kept trying. He said, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I said, this medicine is an was Big time slurry. Slurry, yeah. yeah. So he, said, he got irritated. He couldn't hear, understand here. And he kept the phone down. That was one incident that really jerked me. And another was when uh, one day my cousins, my sisters, my brothers and uh, my uncle, my, my father's younger brother, he had come home uh, to look, just to have, just to meet me as to how I was and stuff. And I was so happy. I said, oh, the entire family is here. Family is here, yeah. I was my little kid and you know, that entire family thing. I was so excited. So I ordered some samosas and, you know, the evening snack and chai, tea, she, everything. And I was so excited. I was just talking away. Because with them, that's family. Now, I didn't care, you know, what yeah. was, uh, how I sounded or whatever. And I was generally chatting, chatting, chatting. And suddenly, I noticed that my uncle was staring at me and he had tears in his eyes. And he started to sob in front of me. And that is when Vijay realized that what I was saying, nobody was able to understand what I was saying. Ooh. Uh -huh. And he was just laughing away because I was laughing. And uncle couldn't, he was so overwhelmed that I did not even realize that I was blabbering or, you know, with that heaviness. And he broke down and that really hit me hard. So, mm -hmm. I'm talking about this incident, I think the first time I've not mentioned this in many, many years. Yeah. So, so when was it? It was uh, 2004, 2005. Yeah, and then uh, I think he went for the surgery after that. Yeah. For the myasthenia. Yeah. So eventually when steroids did not work and none of the medicines were able to control the symptoms is when the doctor said that we will have to then go in for a thymectomy. So thymectomy is basically removal of the thymus gland. Now the thymus gland is something which we all have since uh, childhood. but uh, And it is something that helps us with our immunity. And mm. it remains quiet and, you know, it remains passive forever in others. But in myasthenics like us, it kind of gets into action whenever there's okay. a hormonal change. So in mm. women, generally it happens during hormonal change. It could be during menopause or it could be during childbirth. And in mm -hmm. men, if it happens, it is at the age of 60. So it's a very rare. Okay. And, and at that time, Vijay, very few people actually knew about myasthenia. Even when I would tell another doctor, they would say, where have we heard? We did read about it in some chapter in the MBBS. Yeah. You know, so I had to tell them that this is what it is. And say, oh, and then I would become a reading material for them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They were experimenting as well, yeah. saying that, okay, uh, we got the, uh, yeah. I had to get go through the thymectomy surgery. So when the doctor said, you have to get this done, Rahul and I, we said, do we have a choice? No, not really. I mean, what to do? And frankly, yeah. we trusted the doctor and the doctors at Apollo full on. Because you have to trust the doctor, you know. True. They will, I mean, whatever people say about doctors, that they might mm -hmm. be, 
keeping it as a business, you know, it's too much of yeah, yeah. for them. But at the end of the day, I trusted my doctor, Dr. Vinod Sudhi, and the entire team. And when they suggested the thermectomy, we did go in for it. In fact, my surgery by the thoracic surgeon was by Dr. Baba Das, who was a fan of mine. <laughs> yeah, he said, I will make sure that you're going back on air, you know. I listen yeah. to you every evening. So like there, now you have to have to make sure. So uh, so we kept the surgery done, except that I didn't realize how big that surgery was. Huh? I said, in anesthesia, he said, of course, general anesthesia is done. And I want to know what pain is, it's okay. And once yeah. the anesthesia got over and I was in the ICU, I realized, damn, what just happened? It's like an open heart surgery. So wow, they opened like, yeah, because I think the thymus is just uh, on the middle of your heart, on your lungs, yeah. right? So, so they the had to open like the... Yeah, so the sternum was cut and I was heavily bandaged. But all the symptoms had disappeared. You know, all symptoms disappeared and I was like, yes, I am back. Uh, but of course, yeah. the voice did not have any strength. So they said it's because of mm. the surgery, the trauma. So that'll take some time. So I waited and I waited one week, two weeks. Uh, I was out of the ICU into the general ward, but the voice was not getting any strength back. So they kept saying, you know, no, wait, wait, wait. I said, how much more? And then I was getting impatient. You know? I really wanted that voice quality and that strength back. Yeah. It was so bad that I had to keep an electronic bell with me, you know, battery-operated bell with me uh, to call people. And I had to speak. And when they would come, they would have to keep their face right next to my mouth, my face, to be able to hear what I'm saying. Eventually, the doctor suggested I go to the ENT. And the ENT said that, oh, good Lord, your left vocal cord is paralyzed. Oh. Like, wow. Double whammy. What did this mean? How did this happen? So he said, maybe during the surgery, you know, you're taking out all the... And is that out. irreversible? The vocal cord, once it gets paralyzed, it's uh, irreversible? Yeah, completely irreversible. So I said, uh, what can be done? He said, nothing can be done. Gone. So I was a little upset. I said, how can the doctor just say, gone? He should give some um, solution. So he said, no, this is an irreversible process. So I was a little upset. I said, why can't you say that the second vocal cord is working? Why is he not telling me that? <laughs> so he said, now you forget about going back on air. I said, no, 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 no. I have to go back on bumper to bumper. I have to do my show. I have to talk yeah. to my son. I have to you know, talk, speak. I mean, how difficult is that still? And uh, then he said, no. So you were determined that, you know what, even if my left vocal cord is gone, then I'm going to go back on air and I have still one vocal cord and I'm going back and I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. So at that time, frankly, I was uh, sure that I will uh, make this irreversible process reversible. Where does that belief come from? Like, uh, I mean, doctor decided, gave you the verdict saying that you are never going back to the year and you can never speak. But still, you know, you said, you know what, I have this right vocal cord, but I'm going to come back on year. Where does that determination comes from? I guess influence a lot of Hindi movies in my life. <laughs> the miracle. Uh, yeah. Survival of the dead person and all of yeah. that. Okay. found <laughs> and all those stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I guess it's mainly because uh, 
Mm, um it's actually difficult to say. I think I just did not give myself another choice. Mm. You know, now when I sit to analyze, I did not give myself the choice that what he said is going to happen. I have to have to say that it is my um gaining strength in the second vocal cord. I would give it to Pavan. Pavan is my yoga guru, my younger to me, but uh is just one more angel in my life and when yeah. i told him that uh, you know this is what it is in fact he said he it's okay you you should be thankful that you have the second vocal cord is so lucky that that part of your body has gone where there is another one which is a second vocal cord so forget about the first one which is paralyzed we will work on this second one and make it strong enough to compensate for the first the one which is paralyzed and i thought that was such a beautiful relieving thing, thing. yeah to say and then he put in so much of efforts into my life you know that he used to work in a school where he teach yoga and uh, physical education and before going to school he would come home and which was like cross country literally he would come on his bike early in the morning 4:30 we would be in the park outside my house and we would do yoga and pranayama and pranayama yoga i'm talking when i couldn't even breathe half a second on my own you know from mm. that he stretched and made me work slowly steadily and very very slowly to um decent degree you know and more than that getting that positivity into my being that yeah. we'll 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 travel you know we'll manage one day at a time one day at a time small steps small baby steps and it started to show you know when actually that was one big learning then and something which i tell everyone that we always look at what's going to happen 5 years from now next year mm-hmm. you know and yeah. when you're unable to achieve that in the next one week you're disappointed you're dejected you're disheartened yeah. but that mm-hmm. is now not how it should be it has to be small steps small milestone yeah. and celebrating yeah. each victory milestone yeah milestone. so even if it is me taking instead of five steps seven steps today of walking from the bedroom till the living room i have to pat myself on the back and say dekha well done yeah today it is seven two steps extra we we don't do that you know we want to do that marathon on day 2 the first day yeah Yeah so one thing that uh, you know kept coming to my mind when you were um, sharing all of this when you were going um, through all of this did you f- at uh, some point felt um, that you were abusing your body with all the uh, you know junk or all the things that we shouldn't actually be putting inside our body whether that's emotionally whether that's the food whether that's um, you know the surrounding or the people uh you know did that thought uh you know occur to you saying that you know what if i get back to normal i promise that you know i this is the, what i'm going to do with my life and obviously the feeling of gratitude was that uh, something that was running on your head not after the surgery but after the radiation and the chemo because i think more than the surgery the radiation and the chemo especially pulled me down big time the immunity had gone so uh, okay the chemo happened <laughs> after this 
So I think uh, yeah. after uh, after this, uh, you got your voice back, and I think you no. went back to the radio, right? No, 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 no. So it was a surgery. Okay. Surgery followed by radiation. Uh, radiation okay. followed by chemotherapy, and wow. uh, after <laughs> chemotherapy, and then uh, yoga, pranayam, this, uh, all this stuff, okay. and then I went back on it. Okay. In yeah. fact, I mean, I was uh, looking at your TED talk, and a lot of people create uh, their resume. Uh, and you have your health resume, which says total surgery six, total chemotherapy is twenty four cycles, total radiation therapy forty eight sessions, total number of pneumonia attacks four, total ICU admission eight times, total number of ventilators six. Like I mean, that's insane. Oh, good lord! Yes, now you made me revisit my <laughs> medical resume after a long time. Good lord! You said after your um, uh, thymoma, uh, you know, surgery, mm. uh, and it did not. I think the myasthenia occurred again. What happened? No, so I got my surgery done, radiation and chemo. Then I looked after okay. my body uh, with pavan, did my yoga, yoga, whatever, and then I went back on air to prove the doctor okay. wrong. <laughs> and I came back. Okay, on you proved the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I proved yeah. the doctor wrong. Uh, with I a single vocal cord, you went back to the radio with a single vocal cord working, right? Correct. And yeah. I came back as the breakfast show jock on High Delhi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, uh, I couldn't sustain the show for long. So after mm-hmm. a few months, I had to step down because uh, the voice was not able to take the pressure, uh, and it was not even airable quality. So that is yeah. something I, you know, when I would listen to my own voice, I'm like, oh, good lord, what is happening? You know, this can't go on air. And also because yeah. I come back home after the four-hour show, I would be so tired and drained. I was unable yeah. to speak to anyone else. Okay, so then the quality of life kind of decreased, and I couldn't speak to my kid. So, and and of course, as I said, you know, on air it was not sounding good. It was uncomfortable for any listener to listen to that voice every morning. So, when was it? Uh, which year was it? Ah, uh, this is two thousand. When you went back, two thousand seven, I think. I okay, so the whole thing went on for two years, from two thousand five till two thousand seven. You went back yeah. on year. Yeah, yeah. So I was yeah. also producing the breakfast. Oh, and then I became mm. jock again on a talent for a while, and then I was in complete remission. Uh, and okay. uh, what the time when to answer you, the question that you asked that you know what were the things that I thought might have contributed yeah. to it? The answer to that was all of the above: my eating yeah. habits, my sleeping pattern, my workload, people around me, emotions, all of them put together. So that was a learning experience that I understood one by one. It was not a revelation that happened. You know, it happened slowly and steadily. So while I was working those nine, ten, eleven years as a freelancer in a school, doing AIR night shifts, day shifts, not saying no to any kind of work, any time of the day or the night, seven days a week, just because I wanted to be, you know, the best, as I said, perfectionist. <laughs> So with the mm. time when you're stepping out and doing work in studios, you're not carrying food from home, and yeah. uh, not even the days when you had so many restaurants around, and neither did you have the money to go to the restaurant every day and you know True. have salad or a, a nutritious food or a lunch or whatever. So what time? What do you have in a studio? You sit there and you order the bread pakoras and the you know patties and all the junk food from the roadside. You know, having cups, n number of cups of tea and coffee, just for the heck of it. 
you know just to yeah. keep company give the other person company sitting there for 3 hours having five cups of tea and yeah. not sleeping at night because you have to do your night shifts at air so virtually sleeping 2 hours in a day 3 hours you know maybe 10 hours over 3 days so i was induced in the body like crazy at that time age was at my side you know so i managed to do it but it obviously had a cascading effect much later yeah so having good food improper sleep no exercise i left dance i would go to the gym once in a while you know those two weeks and then disappear so nothing was consistent our uh, nutritious food home cooked food was completely missing you know breakfast you're just gulping down something and stepping out then mm. you know dinner again at a z studio ordering from you know some local restaurant which gives food to bachelors you know so there's nothing good or anything nice about that that food forget about dry fruits and fruits and you know what i'm having now nothing of that so yeah. i in my life completely so that was a big learning mm. yeah so i mean uh, then after the chemo and all of that did you promise yourself saying god please get me back to the uh, you know normal life and i promise that i'm never going to abuse my body was that thought that was running on your head absolutely you know my kitchen changed my eating habits changed and my thinking changed uh yeah. positive thoughts getting negative people out of my system and getting negative mm-hmm. people out of our uh, our immediate uh, surroundings it was a big exercise mm. at rahul and i actually did you know consciously yeah. people who uh who cons- who say they are our friends and acquaintances mm. but somehow have a very uh, they have a heavy aura around them that kind of pulls you down all the time so you know yeah. just negate them from your life and you're so yeah. much better than you know decluttering your friend circle once in a while is a good thing the same as a spring cleaning in the house <laughs> Yeah yeah so i think a lot of people um when we talk about um you know surround yourself with the really positive people and uh, a lot of people come back saying you know what i'm surrounded by you know who are really close to us but these are the people who are draining a lot of our positivity and energy away um so how does one do that is there anything that you'd like to share to the people on how they can distance themselves or maybe sh- uh, shut themselves or build that kind of a you know strong wall so that even if they are nearby you know the whatever they say or act do not get into it is there something that you'd like to share with the people well frankly it's easier said than done but uh, it's again a yeah. very conscious effort one needs to do it that's it so i i know of some people who have been very good friends in other aspects yet i know that they have pulled me down or i have let them rather not they have pulled me down i have let them pull me down emotionally um in so many ways you know bringing down your self esteem or just being jealous or being uh, nasty extremely nasty mm. caustic yeah so um so they basically are the bullies in your life right they try yeah. to they are trying that that's what they are so one way of doing dealing with them is to actually there's only one way and that is to cut them off Yeah. <laughs> there, there, yeah. There is no sweet way of uh, doing it. So how do you do it? The same way as uh let's say that guy who was after you in in school and you did not want to talk to him. So what do you do? You stop taking the calls. You stop, you know, interacting. You stop being where that person is. And that's exactly what applies here. So you 
to stop all your um interactions that's the best way say you're busy say you're not yeah. you're available <coughs> or walk away that's it that's the only way and it is important yeah. essential and pallavi for you uh, 2007 and the two years of going in and out the hospital was not the end after that you went back on radio you did a bit stuff there i think you also did marathon uh, 21k yeah. uh, after that uh, and you went for trekking now your life was getting to the normal you were eating healthy you were you know surrounding yourself with positive people and then in 2015 the myasthenic crisis came back again mm. and uh, this is when you shared a lot of times before saying that uh, you know on the first two years of all of that happening i never asked myself why me why this is happening to me and uh, you know thought of yourself as a victim uh, mm. per se but in 2015 is when you asked yourself why me why this is happening to me uh, what was your reaction when you realized you know what then you have this type 2 lung cancer and first myasthenic crisis and then type 2 lung cancer that happening So Vijay you have left out from 2005 6 7 2015 wait there's much okay. more inside okay. So I was in remission I ran the marathon Mhm the 7 km marathon one one year 21 km the next year I was fit and fine and then 2011 not a myasthenic crisis but I had myasthenic gravis thymoma repeating So okay. thymoma came back thymoma came back so now thymoma is something that doesn't happen with every myasthenic thymoma so myasthenia gravis is a rare autoimmune disorder out of that a very few people have thymoma accompanied with myasthenia so i was the chosen one so 2011 is when it came back and this time the cancerous cells was on my left lung behind my left lung so first the sternomuscate now this big surgery on my left lung where the diaphragm also had to be cut and now my diaphragm is forever uh, a little uh, uh what do you say uplifted <laughs> i've got an mm. uplifted diaphragm so i'm unable to lie down on my own and stuff so um 2011 came back and that is when i asked you know why now because now i'm looking after myself looking looking feeling good eating well positive thoughts as i said so why did it come back so that surgery happened followed by radiation followed by chemo then i went back into remission and then 2015 is when i had uh, hot spots in my right lung so this time it was not followed by radiation and chemo thankfully but again a surgery mm-hmm. where my uh, the right lung was uh, compromised and uh, those hot spots were removed by then my body was totally gone there was no vitamin yeah. no mineral no nothing left inside the chemo the surgery everything had taken its toll and that is in the myasthenia crisis and type 2 lung failure So did you ever during this whole phase given up on your hope because it's easier when you are you know going through this back to back again and again and again and it's easier for people to lose their hope and uh, as they say you know seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, and for you the tunnel seems never to be ending because it's going yeah. again and again and again and again did you ever yeah. you know give up on your hope saying that I think this is it I think I can't see the light anymore. Well, I did not see the light uh, anymore for a very long time on many many incidents. I would uh, be lying if I say that you know I am the inspirational one. I am the mm-hmm. strongest. That's all bull. <laughs> so that fear <laughs> is always there. You know, the fear is there even now when I'm feeling fine. 
that fear is there even now today on a single day about a hundred times it comes you know it comes and goes it comes and goes but yeah at that time uh, what works is i think the basic human instinct of survival so there is no extra gyan in this there are no big words here but it is a basic instinct of survival now what happens is that i think because uh, of the kind of person that you are that helps a lot so if you are the stubborn kinds you might be able to tide over it a little faster and easier not easier mm. but little, you know more chances of you to travel the path better than those who might be a little weak in their will yeah you know, where who would who might give up but yeah the basic instinct of survival is there. that is why we are ready to go to the hospital and we are ready to take this open the tablets and go into the operation theater again and again because you know that you want to survive you want to yeah. the next morning you want to wake up and have that morning tea <laughs> yeah <laughs> with your dogs around with your kid around with your pati around with your husband around so yeah that uh, that greed you know i call it the greed greed to be alive greed to live the next day and not live be the around life. Yeah, and the rest the of them day. are partying yeah. damn how can i not be there <laughs> Yeah. So now I got a question. You said, uh, you know, the people with the positive mindset and the will, and who have a strong will, saying that you know what, this is temporary, and I know that this has to end, and I'm coming out of it. You know, it might get as I can hit as rock bottom as I can, but obviously the only way is this is up. There is I can't go, you know, down this right. Mm. Now I have to ask you this a little bit of a. weird kind of question but i think it's very important for people to understand the power of mindset in your whole journey of uh, you know going through these 48 sessions of uh, radiation and you know chemotherapy and all of this right and all of this was happening to your life if you have to give a number to your mindset in the entire recovery and bouncing back in your life let's say uh, you know this percentage of probably the recovery was my mindset and obviously everything uh, treatment and all of that was there uh, what number would you give 80 what percent is 80 the first time someone has asked me a question like that so i've given you the number that comes first to my mind 80% yeah. is willpower and the mindset yeah and what you are telling yourself i think that's a really really powerful message there pallavi and for the listeners who are listening and probably going through either the medical challenges or any sort of challenges in their life i think there's a huge huge lesson there saying that if you have a strong determination and a very solid robust mindset saying that you know what the challenge that i'm going through is temporary and you are going to get back into your life everything is going to get get normal so i think you know that mindset is something what drives you out of the challenge and some from somebody who has not been through it once twice like again and again and again and you know she says 80% of it is mindset i think that's a really really powerful message out there for people um listening to this listening to this so pallavi after going through all of this you know when people are faced with even of the smallest problem it's easier for them to you know uh, start complaining and start feel like a victim and how your perspective about problems in life had changed after going through all of this now you know how your approach to the problems let's say before 2005 and after going through all of this after 2015 when you f- are faced with these problems how your approach had changed 
Well, if you ask me, I'll have one answer. And if you ask the same question from my husband, he'll have another answer to this as to how I'm facing the issues <laughs> in a life. Yeah. Frank, huh? So, frankly speaking, um, you know, one's character, the kind of person that you are, it's difficult to change that completely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I still take a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. That is, I think, a part of my DNA, which I'm unable to still, uh, you know, completely do away with. It's a constant effort. It's a constant mm -hmm. practice and you to keep revisiting, you know, issues and things and keep reinventing yourself and keep telling that, you know, this is not the way you're supposed to do it. You've done this way earlier and did not help. So, mm -hmm. uh, it is a difficult thing. Having said that, uh, the one major change that has happened is that when I'm faced with a very extremely grave situation, be it at work, be it a decision-making, you know, generally family decision, life decision, work decision, whatever, or, or health, whatever. Uh, not health, but yeah, the rest. Then uh, I, when my anxiety level kind of starts increasing and it starts to go out of control, out of bounds, is when I, had, when I take a back seat. I stop and I review it from a distance as if it's mm -hmm. a movie that is going on and I am just a observer. And I say, what is the worst that can happen? How bad can it be? You know, mm. it can't be worse than what happened physically or medically. You know, that is the ultimate. True. <laughs> so, if yeah. that deal did not come through, what is the worst that can happen? You know, you'll feel bad, you'll feel sad, will you work for the next one, right? Mm. What is the worst that will happen if you lose your job? What is the worst? You still are alive, you know, you still get another job. You will get some work if you have the capacity, capability, etc. We just decide that that's going to be the end of the world. Yeah. That I have stopped thinking of, you know, that that is not the end of the world. There are options available. Are you open to looking at them? Are you open to receiving all the other options, all the other opportunities that are around you? So that anxiety level then has to be cut, nipped in the bud. So nothing in life that will take you down in the dumps that is there in your control. You know, once you're... And, and you need to do, do that, Vijay, because... Uh, I've heard, learned it the wrong way. When these emotions, when these issues keep building up, building up, building up deep inside you, you're not talking to anyone, you're not sharing and you're not doing anything about it. Mm. Then after a while, the physical will say, enough. Yeah. And it takes over all those things in the form of blood pressure, diabetes, liver issues, kidney issues, cancer, autoimmune disorders, you name it. So it comes to the physical only after we emotionally, mentally have not been able to resolve issues. Pent up emotions, pent up issues, accumulated, made a heap of and put deep inside our system, which eventually after years will manifest in the physical. Hmm. So this, you know, nothing is the end of the world. What will happen? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if someone has shouted. I think that's a good, yeah. true, 
true. I think that's a good way to look at uh, you know the things that happens um, on a on a regular basis. And uh, one of the you know I think that's how when when you look at the problem, saying that you know what's the worst that can happen if I don't get this? Can I bounce back or can I get uh, you know another opportunity? That's a that's a really good perspective, uh, Pallavi. So if we have to summarize your life when you you know try and say this is something um you know a lot of people say saying that you know when life throws you challenges and uh, life wants you to learn some lessons yeah so what are the three lessons that you have learned uh, from the challenges that you were thrown uh, in your life if you have to summarize everything that you have learned after going through this into three key lessons about uh, your life or your body or anything you on, on your understanding about the life what would those three lessons be um bijay it is extremely difficult to take out three lessons because there are so many that i've learned I'm and sure. i continue i continue learning um but i think uh, one of the biggest ones is gratitude gratitude for the people around you you know your family your friends your relatives you know the angels in your life who come and go for no reason you know why did they come into your lives at that particular moment even if it be for just one errand for just one work or for a face you know why did they just come and then disappear and your family you know uh we take them for granted we shouldn't the kind of support that you get from your immediate family and your friends you have to be so thankful for that always that is one lesson big lesson second uh, it's a uh, the second thing that comes to mind is something i don't know how to explain this uh, though you say that you know you should be self reliant and not depend on others and stuff but one thing that i learned was that when going through a bad phase again i say it applies across across the board and that is that it is okay to accept that you have an issue you have a situation and it is at that time okay to ask for help it is a very difficult thing to do extremely difficult but you'll be surprised when you ask for help there are people who are ready to with unconditional love warmth they just give you they just stand there you know right next to you so it is okay to ask for help i'm saying this because i remember when uh, you know i was going through the phases every time i would come back from the hospital you know absolutely devastated physically and mentally true i had to depend on uh, you know ranjana and mariam who have been my helps for years you know and uh, they were the i would ask them to give me a bath you know how difficult is that how difficult is to even ask for you know such a basic thing you have to you know uh, let go of your uh, awkwardness and whatever but the kind of uh, support that they gave or uh, help anywhere in fact you know you just have to ask and the third lesson that i learned uh, i think towards the end that is about 2 uh, or 3 years ago um i had read about this in various books self help books um mm-hmm. but uh, you know so there's gratitude there's uh, living in the present not thinking about the future not thinking about the past all those really really work mm mm-hmm. 
but the one lesson that i learned was to go with the flow hmm. to not to not uh, always try to fight to not always try to uh, do the thing right and you know uh, put unnecessary stress on yourself uh, i remember that particular afternoon evening um when i was going through a horrible phase one of the worst phases of my life when i did not know that my body was hyperventilating so hyperventilation is basically that the carbon dioxide level in the body shoots up um mm-hmm. so there's oxygen but there's more carbon dioxide it turns poisonous and that was the reason why i was hallucinating and i was hallucinating mm-hmm. big time i was unable to sleep through the night and i was falling i would sit and sleep because i couldn't lie down because the diaphragm had come up and uh, i wasn't aware of that and i was constantly falling off the bed i would stand in the mornings i would stand for a minute and i would doze off and i would fall flat you know and i was hallucinating i could see faces on a wall uh, clear cut faces and it was scary and i was talking to myself and everyone at home was <laughs> completely uh, zapped and that was the time when i actually one day sat looking at the wall in front of me looking at the you know the one god or the supreme power or the energy that i derived from i just looked at that wall and i said what the hell you know when is this going to end i am tired i am genuinely tired and i'm through with all this i did not lose hope again but i was tired of fighting you know what is mm. you know that constant fight of i'll be fine i'll be fine i have to be tomorrow hard you know next day i have to be fine so i was just simply tired that tunnel i couldn't see the end of it and that mm. and i physically actually put my head and hands on the bed in front of me and i surrendered i don't know to what but i just surrendered i said i am now tired i am not going to go with the flow you decide where my life is going to go where am i going to go from here the day i did that which i am telling you i was far more clear in my head uh, much more calm peace and that anxiety level had come down because after a while how much can you fight how much can you do mm. apart from doing everything that the doctor is saying the nutritionist is saying the psychologist is saying you know your family everything but nothing was going right you know health was not getting better at all my weakness just wouldn't go i was mm-hmm. tired and i did not give up but i surrendered and decided to go with the flow and i'm telling you i could feel the difference one week after that because i was fighting myself and my mind so much i just gave, gave up on that fight and i said i'll go with the flow so yeah at times you just have to <laughs> yeah i think what you are also trying to um, you know say is leave it to the universe um, you know and believe the you know uh, whatever god or power uh, whatever you believe in tell them that now you know this is what i want and it's up to you so i think it's uh, it's just Yeah. uh you know passing the ball to the universe's court and as you said now i think uh you know when you said uh, when i did that i felt lighter on my head i think the reason that also happened was because now you know i have 
given it to you and it's your duty to you know get this right and it's not you know mm-hmm. on my head anymore i have like given it to you. i haven't given up the hope mm-hmm. but i have surrendered to you saying that you decide and you know i want to go with the flow um so i think that's a that's a very very beautiful lesson so just to summarize quickly be grateful of the people around you uh, and the second one seek help and uh, and not only in the situation like these where obviously you know when you need a lot but even in the normal life as well you know a lot of people find it difficult to ask for the help um and uh, it it takes a lot of people a lot of courage to ask for the help even if it's the smallest one where the people are usually more willing to help than what we normally think and as you have already said right they do it with a lot of love and care and it's just that we make it a lot on our head saying that i don't know whether the person's going to help or not um so and the third one is surrender just uh, uh you know don't put or take a lot of weight on your own shoulders sometimes it's just to you know surrender and let go super that those were really really powerful lessons so pallavi now it's time for the enlightening round are you ready for this so will i get the enlightenment award uh, <laughs> will i become yes, the will, will uh, i become will. <laughs> Uh, yes what inspires you to do everything that you do today the zest for life my son my husband myself nature colors flowers anything that's beautiful and nice just keeps me going which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in this entire journey of yours if you have to attribute everything that has happened to you to the one daily habit meditation great could you share a book or two that you have been influenced a lot uh, that has had a huge impact in your life i am not a very big book reader <laughs> reader yeah i am so ashamed of myself uh, <laughs> but uh, yes uh, one book that uh, kind of um, shook me up and uh, made many of my fundas of life fundamentals of life out of clear was actually a louis hay book heal your mind heal your body so that was a big big revelation because it made so much of sense to me so yeah conversations with god power of now i started reading yeah. a lot of uh, such books <laughs> when i yeah <laughs> when i started to seek answers <laughs> mm true If you were to start this journey all over again let's say you know you had this opportunity to start this all over again what are those three things that you would have done differently clearly i would uh, not have worked uh, as insanely as i did the first 10 years of my career and you know messed up my body and mind and my entire system so clearly i would have taken it a little more uh, planned and a little more disciplined life so that is one second uh, would be eating right i messed up i really messed up big time i don't think i remember having even a fruit properly you know on a daily basis i i really was uh, i i ill treated my body and third of course is uh, venomous relationships people thoughts i would not i would pick them up and throw them right there and not turn around and look at them again I have one last question that I would like to ask before I do that. Uh, I'm really really excited and we already have got some 
phenomenal responses for the podcast that uh, you know we have put out. Um, and you know you have done an amazing job of sharing your story and uh, connecting with other f- you know uh, people going through the same and uh, spreading the hope and the love and you know the entire uh, entire journey of the people struggling with the similar thing. But it's not as sad and gloom as you think, Pallavi. Uh, you know, bringing her all the Bollywood and all the you know drama and uh, all the experience that she has with her podcast um, that I'm talking about can inspire is uh, something if you guys are looking at, even if you are dealing with some critical illness or even if not, this is a podcast for you to get, uh, you know, inspired. If you love the inspiring talk, I'm sure you are going to love Can Inspire as well. Pallavi, would you like to share more about, uh, you know, how this Can Inspire came into your thought? How did you think about uh, creating a podcast like this and reaching out to more people? And more stronger than ever with, you know, the single vocal cord that you are and you are already rocking. Yeah, the Can Inspire podcast was uh, on my mind for quite a while, but uh, never actually you know, mustered up the courage to put them all together, all the thoughts together. The reason why I wanted to do the podcast was simply because I realized uh, about three, four years ago that there has to be some reason why all this drama had had to happen in my life. You know, they, it can't be happening without any reason. There has to be some purpose. So when people keep talking about, you know, the purpose in your life, what is the purpose of your life, you know, the philosophical uh, question. So about two, three years ago is when I realized that maybe I am supposed to, I meant to talk about my life experiences so that others who are maybe undergoing a medical issue or any other issue, might benefit seeing, thinking that, you know, if I have managed to come out of it a few times, then, I, as I said, I keep looking at myself from a distance, you know. That is that really my story, but whoever it is, whatever the story is, it's a lot of drama and action into that, packed into it. So I, I wanted people to know one about my senior Travis. You know, till date, very few people know of an autoimmune disorder called myasthenia gravis, be it the doctors, be it uh, um, the general public. There's hardly any awareness. So each of my talks that I give, I keep talking about what myasthenia gravis is, what happens and, you know, what should be done. So I started with a Facebook group that carried on further. I left it like that. Then uh, again, mustered of courage and I said, let me not just restrict myself to myasthenia gravis and talk about all kinds of chronic illnesses because, and uh, Vijay, it's amazing, you know, every time I speak to a guest, I realized our stories and our uh, um, experiences, so many things are similar. True. So the others actually listen to it. Let yeah. them not make the same mistakes that we did in our true, lives. True, so true. So yeah. that, that was the reason and uh, so Can Inspire came about and I got in touch with you. Yeah and, and uh, yeah so yeah so Wine Start Studio is uh, really helping me out. I just record <laughs> and they take over the entire thing. So it's and the kind of response I'm getting is oh yeah yeah phenomenal oh, and we get yeah. to see those messages, people coming out and sharing their own stories, um, and uh, you know sharing their own stories of uh, courage and strength mm-hmm. and uh, you know recovery and uh, as you say, it's the world of hope, fear, and love. So, I mean, it's it's been incredible, you know, um, guys, we have put out three episodes and 
new episode drops every Wednesday. So it's now available on every single platform. And I'll put the link on the description of this episode as well. Can Inspire Podcast. Go ahead and listen to it. And if you don't fall in love with Pallavi's voice, I mean, there is no way you can't fall in love with Pallavi's <laughs> voice once you listen to that podcast. The uh, yeah, she's being very uh, calm in this interview, but <laughs> on that podcast, you will see. I think not the full part, but uh, at least um, better part of uh, you know what she used to be at is the RJ Pallo back in uh, you know two thousand four five at Radio Michi. Mm-hmm. I have one last question that I would like to ask you. Yeah. Now, uh, now that you have started, you know, doing uh, speaking a bit, and uh, you you go to a lot of events and you know share your story. Um, imagine this: this is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world, mm-hmm. and there are millions of millions of people on that stadium, and you are on a stage, and you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important. Lesson that you have learned in your life, what would be your message? It got me thinking. Yeah, I think the biggest message would be to make sure that you look after your body. When I say look after your body, it includes everything. It includes the physical, the mental, the emotional. This is where we live. It has to be looked after well. You've got to respect it. You've got to love it. You've got to take care of it. So it includes everything from exercise to positive thoughts to um, resolving issues in life. You know, any issue that you have with anyone or anything, resolve it. If you have a fear, confront it and get it out of your system. I strongly believe that all these things that we are not supposed to talk about, that we are not supposed to share, we kind of you know accumulate it. Keep it inside and let it grow, and we pile it up. I strongly, firmly believe that anything that happens in the physical happens after a very long time, when the emotional is not able to handle. It then develops in the physical. So my um, thing to the audience of ten thousand would be just that: to love yourself. To look after the body that you are in, and look after it every which ways. The way you live your life for the first twenty years is how your body will look after you for the next twenty years. Look after your body. It has been an amazing having this conversation with you, Pallavi. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vijay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast. I hope. Pallavi's story inspired you to take care of your body, be grateful for what you are blessed with in your life, and most importantly, never to give up on your hope. If this iron lady can go through all of this and bounce back stronger and better, I'm sure you too can. Wherever you are, keep at it, and this too shall pass. You can find all the links mentioned on this episode on show notes at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 9191. And before you do anything else, let me know your biggest takeaway from this episode on my Facebook, 
Twitter or Instagram at the rate Vijay Speaks. You can check the podcast that we have produced with Pallavi called Can Inspire wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.